I'm Joshua Best. I'm Jacob King. And this is Somebody Somebody Else's Favorite Songs. Casual popular music discussion spanning the past 70 years. We talk about the music you love. And the music you should know that you may not. You are listening to Episode 5, Turn of the Century, Texas Country. Again, and thank you all for joining us today. I just want to say thanks to everyone who has uh, taken the time to listen to our previous episodes. We've had a lot of fun uh, doing this and putting all this together for y'all. I just want to say we're looking forward to this episode. We're going to keep this one a little bit close closer to home, right, Josh? Exactly, and in a very literal way, both being East Texas boys. Born and raised. For those of you in particular in my age bracket and from this part of the world, you're going to, I think, enjoy this because it is about a very specific time in a very specific genre of music that happened here in Texas. And what I'm talking about is the, the genre known as Texas country. Or maybe just called Texas music, which is confusing. Yes, or Texas music, and in fact, at that time, I remember referring to it as Texas music more often than as Texas country. Um, At the same time, there were other names that were given as it was expanded to to the genre as more Oklahoma influence came in. We got the Red Dirt music, and that actually sort of was... um, a back and forth between Texas and Oklahoma, you know, are we going to include that or not? And then, in general, Americana, it all just sort of fell under what they would call Americana in other places in the country. And just as well, whether it was Red Dirt or Texas, it was they were both sort of opposed to the Nashville scene. Um, even to today, there's really a clear difference in the sounds and, uh, you know, what you're hearing in comparison to those two different areas. That's right. That's right. And in fact, there's I, I've I've toyed with as we talk about this as an introduction, the I, I've moved this stuff around several times trying to figure out the order. But you just you just made it clear the order that it needs to go in. And we need to talk about the parameters of what makes this music fit this category. What counts. And you've hit on the first A number one thing is that it is not Nashville. And it is uh, almost, shall we say, uh, aggressively not Nashville. A, a pine curtain of separation, if you will. It, it, there absolutely is a pine curtain of separation. And no Nashville is one of the the first parameters of Texas music. Uh, in fact, um, one of the one of the artists of Texas music, Texas country music, uh, Corey Morrow, had a song called Nashville Blues. And it perfectly encompasses what we're talking about with No Nashville on his his great double live album. You've got 
about 30 seconds of people chanting Nashville sucks before he plays Nashville blues. And that is, if there's a founding principle of Texas country music or Texas music, it's Nashville sucks. Well, and that, but that isn't to say that there haven't been flirtations with Nashville from Texas music, musicians. And I think there's one guy that's going to sh- come up later in our conversation. Definitely some crossovers, definitely some transitional work um, in between someone's Texas output. They, you know, get onto a big label. They hit it big, maybe for a time in Nashville, but they come back. You know, these are the things that we see as well. And even to today, there's a guy named Aaron Watson on on the scene that is making inroads in Nashville, but it's definitely a Texas musician as well. So as time as time moves forward, that those sorts of lines are going to get more blurred. Indeed. And but but at the time and the time frame that we're talking about here has a specific beginning, which we'll get to in a minute. But let's let me stick with the parameters because. There's what what you have is this genre is is definitely a a grandchild of the outlaw country movement mm. of the Willie Whalen, um, Merle and all those guys come down to Austin. Yeah, that it's that's that's the great granddaddy, and, and then continuing on as that went along to include guys like Jerry Jeff and Joe Ely and Terry Allen and all of these different Guy Clark. Yes, and Guy Clark. This this Towns whole Van type Zandt. of thing. Be sure and mention Towns Van Zandt, absolutely. So that's that's the background there, and it sort of merges that outlaw movement with what you might call a neo traditional country sound. So if you merge outlaw music, outlaw country, and neo traditional country, and you center it in the Lone Star State, and you're you're going to end up with what happened and. That is the the country, the Texas country movement that that happened, and it started, I would say, at a specific time um, when it really sort of got on the brains and ears of people in this area was in 1996 when Robert O'Keen released an album called Number Two Live Dinner, which is the first Texas country album. Now that's not to say, I mean, Robert O'Keen had four or five albums before that, which would all fit. But as far as this becoming a thing, that's the moment when, from a a history standpoint, that's the moment when it sort of turned into this cultural um, mini-phenomenon that was happening around the state. But again, before I get to that, (laughs) talking some more about the parameters. You do not have to be from Texas to be a Texas country artist. You do not. And whether you go way back to old school outlaw, you know, Jerry Jeff. He's from upstate New York. That's exactly right. Of course, we lost Gonzo this year. We did. But uh, somebody in the more Texas country movement time frame, like uh, the derailers, came oh, from Oregon. The Northwest. You know, so... You don't have to be from Texas, but as we say, you just need to get here as soon as you can. So when you when you start talking about the content of these songs, I talked about you don't have to be from Texas. We've talked about a a mix of neo traditional and outlaw country sort of fused together, uh, a rejection of Nashville sounds. There are a few things you have to do. You have to praise Texas and Texas cities 
in Texas history as often as you can, Absolutely. or at least as often as you need to. Uh, Pat Green's I Like Texas or Songs About Texas, perfect choices for that. Right. Uh, Corey Morrow's Texas Time Traveling, great, great song mentioning and extolling the virtues of Texas. And you also have to talk about Texas or redneck life. But here's the thing, as opposed to modern bro country, you don't <laughs> just throw things in there. It's not, they're not list songs. They're not list songs. That is a huge point we have to make here, okay? Very evocative images of Texas things. They are not listing them. No, no. It's not just make a list and We're say... We're telling a story. Here. Yes, you have a, a story to tell. And, you know, if you don't just mention fishing... You write a song called five, five Pound, pound bass, bass, all right, that, that's, it, that, oh no, it's a toaster, it's as big as a baby, and you know, you gotta, you know, it's, that, gotta love it. That's a very important point to make. It's not about lists, it's about life, and you use evocative imagery to tell good stories, and ultimately, most of the Texas country movement was about telling good stories, Absolutely. and it was often about crime or women, and usually both. Exactly. So, you know, a a perfect example, the road goes on forever and the party never ends. You've got that as as sort of the prototypical. Or what about Jesse with the long Jesse with the long hair hanging down? Jesse with the long hair hanging down from Robert Earl Keane. The same type of thing. Both of those from Robert Earl Keane, of course. If you're going to sing about love and you must sing about love, it must either be blissful or tragic. That is true. And sometimes both. And sometimes both in the same song. So that's also very important uh, to be included in discussing the parameters of the songs. And ultimately, though, you must have a sense of humor and of style and of wit. 100%. There's always fun and funny stuff happening. And really, the only other thing I would say about parameters for the songs is that you have to have Lloyd Maines produce it or play steel guitar on it. He's everywhere in this in this particular genre and time. He's all over it. He is. He if if, if Robert Earl Keane is the granddaddy of the movement, and he probably is with respect to the real pioneers. If he's the the entry point to the Texas country movement, then then Lloyd Maines is the man behind the curtain. Always. Of the albums that I have selected, and ultimately that's what we're going to do. We're going to select albums from this genre that we like. Of the albums that I've selected, Lloyd Maines is on, depending on the ones I end up with, either all five of them or four out of the five of them. Because he's always around for these artists during this time frame. So let's get back then to number two live dinner as the starting point. For for me, in 1996, I was 21 years old. And I had been married for about a year, and my wife and I were living in Nacogdoches, Texas, and attending Stephen F. Austin State University at that time. And my my country background, as we've mentioned a little bit uh, here in our in our show, my country background was really limited to some things through the '80s that mostly came from my granny. She loved Alabama, and she loved the Gallon Brothers, and she loved Charlie Pride, whom we just lost just as, as of this recording, you know, a day or two ago. 
uh, I absorbed some of that through her. And, you know, we had a few country records at the house. They were things like Ronnie Millsap. Of course, I loved the Oak Ridge Boys when I was a little boy. But I really fell away from listening to much of any kind of country music except what I would hear on the radio in the 90s. Very Nashville stuff. Which was would have been very, you know, all of that would have been. Right. And <clears throat> though, the, though the sins of country Nashville production and radio of the last 20 years um, could be offset by the glories of Nashville country in the 70s and 80s <laughs> to some people. And I think the 90s too. And, and the 90s. I would, yeah, as we've kind of already talked about on the show before, nothing wrong with what you got out of there in the 90s. But at that point, I'm really not listening to a lot of country music. So as we get to 96, my my friend Kenny Latin gives me a copy of Robert Earl Keane's number two live dinner. And Kenny is an Aggie. And he's in or Aggie land at that time in about the second year of a five or six year stint. So... <laughs> <laughs> wow. And he gives me this record. And it is, or CD. Talk about a faithful moment. It was a very important moment because if you, if you really want to know what the Texas music movement was all about, really all you have to do is listen to Number 2 Live Dinner because it has everything. And that was, that was my introduction, my formal introduction to Robert O'Keen as well, was y'all telling me to, to listen to that. And so... Very, very good, um, very good live album, but a great introduction to a guy like that. It is. I think it's the perfect entry point. If you've been curious about listening to Robert Earl Keane and never really done that very much, that's where you want to start because it really tells you everything you need to know about him, but about other artists that, that follow his mold and his way of doing things. And so what developed as that was happening it, it was this burgeoning scene of live music where these regional artists were putting out CDs on small labels that they were selling mostly at their show at their shows while they're performing 200 plus nights a year. Mm. And you know somebody like Pat Green, which maybe people may be a little more familiar with than some of the other people we talk about, before he ever went to Nashville, he sold like a quarter of a million CDs. He did. All this self, way. Pretty much self-released. Yeah. Self-released, small label, you know, selling them at the at the show type things. And Just grinding. Grinding, yeah. grinding away on the road. And and we loved it. And they began to make their names in the bigger places in Houston and Dallas and Austin, but also in college towns, College Station and Waco and Lubbock. That's that's where they got their their real foothold, and they began to really hone their craft in the most famous of Texas places like Green Hall, mm-hmm. John T. Floors, Billy Bob's in Fort Worth, of course. or uh, Luke and Bach Dance Hall. They this is where the legends before them came, and they set out on their own mission and became became popular as a subgenre of country music that for us in Texas felt like it was very much ours. I didn't know any other state that any album from artists were going to have at least a couple of songs just praising the existence of that state itself. But you were going to get that with these guys. Guys like Robert Earl Keane, 
We've already mentioned some of these. Jack Ingram, Randy Rogers, Pat Green, Corey Morrow. The Robisons. Bruce, Bruce Robison and, and Kelly Willis's wife, Charlie Robison. Um, or even down to all these regional guys like um, 1100 Springs from Dallas or Adam Carroll from Adam Tyler. Carroll from Tyler. Uh, Jesse Dayton from Austin, whom we're going to talk about, I feel certain. You know, Beaver Nelson. There's all these different guys regionally that you would find. And yes, a lot of people are going to know who Robert O'Keen is. Very few are probably going to know who Adam Carroll is. But Adam Carroll's got a really fine album that fits this this genre, or a couple really. But anyway, so that is sort of the history as I remember it. Oh, I should also mention this. There are also guys who sort of grew out of, particularly Austin, that that sort of spread their wings a little more. Maybe not so much in fame, although certainly one of these is more probably more well known than than anybody else. But that didn't strictly stick with country, but are sort of part of the story. Uh, guys like Lyle Lovett, mm, um, of course. I chose not to select the Lyle Lovett album for this because um, of the wide variety of music that he presents. Maybe you selected one. That would certainly be fine. Well, I did until you you narrowed the parameters on me for this, so I had to deselect it. Okay. <laughs> of course, Lyle Lovett and Robert O'Keefe getting their start in College Station. Mm-hmm. You know, they were in college at the same time, sort of playing and writing together. So definitely he's a part of it as well. But I, I just kind of tend to think of him as as being broader than what I would call country music. So, or somebody like Monty Montgomery, who True. is part of this whole movement, and listen to his album Mirror. By the way, great, that's a, that's great album, an awesome album. And you can't really mention Austin without mentioning Austin City Limits, um, live capital, yeah. live music capital of the world. So many great bands come from Texas, which we may not be talking about as part of this movement. Of course, we're talking about more country, but lots of bands and lots of artists came from Texas and got their start in Austin. We, we, we'd we be remiss to not mention them. You talk, talk about Lyle Lovett, Monty Montgomery, a bunch of guys like that. And I think as well that this, may come, this will probably come up later, some words from one of the musicians whose album I chose, talked about growing up in the 80s and talking about the influence of George Strait on all of them, obviously George Strait being from Texas, but obviously was more of a Nashville guy. He hung his hat in Tennessee, but so to speak. he had a lot of influence on these guys too, it seems. So we have to mention him as well, I think. Yeah, I think that's reasonable to do so. So that's sort of some history and just some thoughts on on the movement. And, and during that time frame from, you know, 96 up to 2001 or two, certainly, and, and continuing after that, but certainly during that time frame. The first 10 years of my life? I'm the first 10 years of your life, and that's where <laughs> I want to go with this. But for, during that, I'm going out to seek out and find places to see these guys. And during that time frame, you know, I saw Robert Earl Keane. I, I went and saw Pat Green in Houston. I think he was at the Houston Rodeo in probably 2000-ish. Um, I saw Corey Morrow in San Marcos uh, at the college, and then it was later that I began to see some of these other guys 
that, that we'll talk about. But it, you really wanted to get out and see them and see what CDs you could buy that you didn't have. And again, that live part of it was a big, important part of the movement. But as Jacob mentioned, this is really coinciding with the first 10 years of his life. So his perspective is going to be very different than someone who is 21 to 20 to 30 during when all this is happening. So I'm curious, not only how you came to it, but how you've consumed it and what your thoughts are um, coming maybe a half generation after when this was happening. <laughs> well, you certainly, at that point, you were the age that I am now. Um, I can tell you, though, in that same period, you were talking about seeing various artists live. Well, I, too, saw um, one of those artists live. Uh, my first, as I recall, my first ever concert was when my papa and now my grandparents took me to see Pat Green at the Old Palace. And that was, it had to have been about 2003, because um, my Nana loved that song, Wave on Wave, mm -hmm. which, go ahead and laugh, I know that you <laughs> don't really care for that album much. More about that later. Yeah, I uh, think we'll get to that. But he played that song, my Nana bought the album, played the album, went to see him. It was fun, because he was still playing a lot of that older stuff, too. Sure. I didn't remember much, I was eight. But I do remember Wave on Wave, mm -hmm. and I also remember Carry On, those two songs. So... That's my first interaction with Texas country, of course. Transitioned over to Nashville for a bit, Pat Green. But my perspective on it is just discovering all these gems, these these um, perfectly awesome albums from this time period. And I can't say that I know them all. I know a lot of songs and a lot of artists, but there's a few albums I really hone zone in on, which we'll talk about. But... It was really the introduction of Robert Rockin's number two live dinner that I already mentioned. So growing up listening to country radio for the Nashville scene, it was so interesting to hear this other side of it, songs about Texas and music about Texas with fiddle and steel guitar. That's really my favorite. And it was through you and through Sarah, my wife, that I was introduced to these um, all these artists. So, so these that's artists specifically... But certainly not country music because you've you grew up prior to getting the introduction to these guys. You you grew up, did you not, with your with your mother being a big country music fan? Oh huge. George Strait, Garth Brooks, you know, with my grandparents it was always on the radio, whether it was a station around here called one oh four point one the ranch that played the old the the old stuff. And then other stations that played the hits. You know, I grew up with all of that. So that was a big influence on my musical, um, you know, musical preferences was Nashville country. It's interesting because all of this sort of fits together more than people may realize. Yes, it was a very regional thing in a lot of ways. And the further you get from Texas, the less likely you are that people in general are going to know a lot about a lot of these artists, but the connections began to happen and they began to happen quickly, particularly in the late 90s as the Dixie Chicks became popular. Charlie Robinson was married to one of the Dixie Chicks. Um, of course, the, Lloyd Maines, we talked about him. His daughter was the lead singer of the second iteration of the Dixie Chicks. And the one that everybody knows. Of course. Uh, Natalie Maines and, and those albums that came out in the late 90s which were coming out of Nashville 
were very fine. They're they're great. Dixie chicks um, are great. You you even get some some crossover between. Let's put it this way, the 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 rejection of what's going on in Nashville for what's going on in Texas. Part of that may have been a little bit of wink wink, but where it has landed since then, the dividing line is great. So that you end up with somebody like Dale Watson who is another guy who is not from Texas, but came to Austin and during this time frame put out a bunch of albums uh, that I'm not all that familiar with, but every time I listen to any of them, they're great. Where's he from? uh, He's from Alabama. Oh, okay. And then came to Austin by way of Los Angeles and, of course, now has ended up in Memphis as he has left Austin again. But you, he is... He embodies now to me the I am not Nashville and I'm going to play you the really traditional type thing. Mm-hmm. Everything in between you get as part of this. But back then, maybe maybe it wasn't as serious a rivalry as everybody liked to, to make it out as they're yelling, Nashville sucks. So as I started to think about this, one of the things that really struck me is something that is probably a surprise if if you know me or if you've been listening to this, the fact that we're going to do an entire episode about Texas country music may be surprising because the the cowboy life, the the hunting, the fishing, the all of this sort of the horse riding, all this stuff, that is not me in any way. And yet, the music appealed to me. And part of it is just that old, we're from Texas and Texans are proud to be from Texas and we've got our own thing. And no, we don't all ride Cadillacs and horses and have oil rigs and Ride oil Cadillacs. Wells. Is that what I said? You said ride Cadillacs. <laughs> no, I'm not editing that one out. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't all ride horses and drive Cadillacs. We do have and, paved roads. And we do. We do. They are few and far between in some places, but we do have the, So we're we're all somewhere on the redneck spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, maybe I'm not despite how I sometimes tend to sound, I I'm maybe not so far down that as many of my friends and the people I know are. I'm not a hunter, I'm not a fisherman, I'm not any of those things. But the nature of the music has always appealed to me. And even when I can't identify with getting up in the morning and going out to catch the five-pound five bass as something that I do, there's something very comforting and home about this music that has spoken to me, even though it doesn't match my experience. And I think there's universality there that's important to mention. Well, I think I can say the same thing. Uh, maybe not to quite the degree um, as you, but I can say that whether or not we are hunters and fishers, uh, we all know people who are. Yeah. We know people who would get up and um, eat their honey bun and go out at 4.30 to catch that five-pound bass. So it's all, it's all part of the experience around here. Ladies and gentlemen, the five-pound bass. Up 
this moment before the sun fixed me some coffee and a honey bun jumped in the pickup gave her the gas I'm going out to catch a five pound bass down by the lakeside just off the ramp all them people sleeping in their fishing camps some out in the pub tent some out on the grass they all been dreaming about that five pound bass So what we've decided to do is we want to talk about some of these artists and a representative album, basically, that each one of us has for for some of these artists that we've been talking about. And the starting place, as we've already said, is Robert Earl King. So since it was the starting one for me, I picked number two, Live Dinner. And it was for me, too. So... That is, it's funny because the previous albums contain the music that's on number two live dinner of his studio work, but to me, the versions that are on number two live dinner are the definitive versions because there's the one I heard, the ones I heard first. Yes, and me too. Even <clears throat> to the point where some of the songs they don't sound as good to me in this from the studio cut. For yeah. instance, um. um Gringo Honeymoon? Gringo Honeymoon, exactly. Think It Over uh, One Time? Think It Over One Time. That was that. I couldn't think of the title quite. Yeah. Some of those up. kinds of things. Of course, yeah. you want to more excite your songs a little more for a live show, but I think they're better. Yeah, I, <laughs> I like them too, but he's he is alive. You know, as many of these guys are, they're just great live, and the energy really comes across on that record. But not too long after that, um, he released his major label debut, and... Tell us about that, Jacob. That would be the album called Picnic, released on Arista, uh, Arista Austin, in 1997. And uh, I just want to mention the album cover, if you happen to look at that. Speaking of number two, Live Dinner, the picture of it is of his car uh, burning up at Willie's Willie Nelson's July 4th picnic. And I, I'm pretty sure he told that story on number two, Live Dinner. RHP 997. That's correct. <laughs> Your car, there's about 30 cars burning up. <laughs> it's funny because when Picnic was released, I read one of the reviews as it got a wider release than, than his previous stuff did. I saw a review where the writer was talking about how he couldn't figure out how burning cars had anything to do with the title Picnic. And clearly not been paying attention to Robert O'Keefe if that didn't <laughs> match with you. But we'll, we'll, we'll take care of her, man. Yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of the comparison to number two, Live Dinner, he also records this album with much of the musicians that he tours with, such as um, the Georgia Fireball himself, Rich Brotherton on guitar, Bill Whitbeck on bass. And I think previously he used studio musicians, but this time it, it, it I think it really helps. It really helps to have the familiarity um, with the sound. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And you get some... 
you get some guest appearances. Uh, Margot Timmons on on back, uh, on vocals. Yeah. Um, you know some uh, a cover, uh, an important cover. The uh, in particular Level Land, written by James McMurtry. Another fine Texas musician. And there's actually three covers on this album, and it's interesting. We we go back to covers. Um, Fourth of <laughs> July is a cover. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Did you know it was a cover? I, I did, but I'm not familiar. I don't know that I've ever heard the original. I knew Robert Keen didn't write it. It's a man named Dave Alvin uh, from the punk band X. You may you may know X because okay. Jesse Dayton has played with them some, I believe. Yes, he has uh, um, filled filled in for for their guitarist who had been sick. Correct, and the uh, recently the coming home of the uh, of the son and brother, which is you know prodigal son type of song was written by a bluegrass musician named J.D. Hutchinson. So, three covers on this album, and I did not know that the, the the latter two were even covers to begin with. So, while Robert Earl writes a lot of his own stuff and does so very well, um, the, 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 the opening tracks, Undone and Over the Waterfall, are outstanding. And But he also will throw those covers in and have big hits with those covers. Back to number two, Live Dinner, um, Amarillo Highway. Terry Allen song. This is a Terry Allen song. As he announces know. before he plays he it. He does. And he would would do others of, of those, of course. But it has become more known as the guy who wrote a lot of the songs that that people around the state want want to play. But this is this is just a great a great album. It's very and a good. Wonderful place to to start in in your Robert O'Keefe studio album journey. And you can't go wrong with any of them. You really can't. It's really His a great His whole catalog album. is great, but this is a great place. Top to bottom. So we're going to play some uh, parts of a couple of songs for y'all. We're going to play uh, Shades of Grey and Running With the Night. So Shades of Grey is a very important Robert Earl King song, which on the surface appears to be about some reckless guys that drive kids. north. Kids. yeah, and drive north and steal, a, steal some cows to sell. Mm-hmm. And get caught by the FBI, thinking that they're after them because of their 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 bovine their bovine thievery. <laughs> but it was on a morning in late April in late, late April, April, Oklahoma, ninety five. Uh, yeah, of course, a reference to the the bombing that happened in the Federal Building then. Right, very important news event um, from from that time frame that I remember. You know quite quite well, and he weaves that in there, and it's just it's a, it's a great song. Of course, they were just some sorry kids. They weren't the ones. They weren't the ones. And then, as he mentioned, "Running with the Night," one of my favorite Robert Earl King songs. It's just a, a fabulous, fabulous, very characteristic story song, song of his, and, and typical. So let's listen to those. And I 
So moving forward, a just one year, where our next choice is a a very fine album from a very fine musician, one that Josh and I have been able to shake his hand, take a picture with him. This is Bruce Robison, and in particular, we're talking about his album Wrapped, um, which is another just very very fine album, top to bottom. Uh, this is not a major label debut. Um, I don't believe that Bruce Robinson um, had one of those, but um, of interest are two songs on this album, Wrapped, the title song, and Desperately, which were uh, recorded by George Strait um, in the 2000s, and of course he had a big hit when Tim McGraw recorded Angry All the Time. So I really like this album because it really has everything. We have an autobiographical perspective from his song, My Brother and Me, which is about his brother Charlie, who is also a um, perhaps more well-known musician and songwriter. And then you have the serious songwriting, like we talked about, the love songs that have to do with um, the good and bad, like Angry All the Time. And of course, the good love songs, the two George Strait covered songs, and then Good Country Wit, when we have that song called The Twelve Bar Blues. So I really like this one. And it, it kicks off with one of my favorites, uh, Rain, Louisiana. Just a, a great story song. This album is, is, is just a classic, and Bruce is more known as a songwriter than a performer, so much so that... Uh, one commentator says that his albums tend to sound like publishing demos to him. <laughs> I, I understand what they're saying, but that sort of illustrates the difference between the way we did it in Texas and the way Nashville did it. It's more stripped down. It's more straightforward. It's not as flashy. But no, that serves the songs well. It does. Especially on on this album and its immediate follow-up which is an album I would certainly select when talking about Bruce Robison, known as Long Way Home From Anywhere. You get on that record the big hit that was later recorded by somebody else, which was Traveling Soldier. Of course, the Dixie Chicks picked that one up. They did. And you get a little bit more of that entertaining wit. Maybe not as out there entertaining as later when he when he wrote and recorded what would Willie do but <laughs> a little more a little more subtle type 
type things. Uh, a song like uh, he wrote with Jack Ingram called Any More Good Lovin', which is just fantastic. Any More Good Lovin' will drive me out of my mind. And you've got a really nice piece of writing in Just Married, which kind of tells a similar story to Angry all the time, but in a little more subtle way and how it starts out, we're excited, we're just married, and after so many years, well, we're just married. It's really a great piece of writing. So these two albums together, Jacob's Selection of Wrapped and Mind of Long Way Home from Anywhere, are really going to tell you what Bruce Robinson is all about. I mean, it's really, if you ask me, it could be an easily a double album, but I think if you look at if the two put together, it's really, they're just masterpieces of good Texas music. The low key, like you said, fiddle, still guitar, but the songwriting really takes center stage here. It does. So these two albums, huge favorites of mine. So we'll play you some selections from Bruce Robinson. Every night it's the same. I hear you calling my name. You're lying next to me. I give in to your charms, you disappear in my arms. I realize it's just a dream. Desperately, I long to feel your touch. You left me all alone in love now. Shake the sleep from my head and try to crawl out of bed. Today is just another day. I make the coffee for I turn the radio on, pretend that everything's okay. Desperately, I long to feel your touch. It's gonna take me a while, but I still love you desperately. I woke up this morning, my woman says to me, There's got to be somewhere I'd rather be. She left me staring. At the open door Left me so broken I couldn't walk the floor I get a little bit of hugging I get a whole lot of pain I get a little bit of sunshine I get a whole lot of rain I get a whole lot of heartache Just a little good time In Moving on from Bruce, we definitely wanted to talk about Bruce's brother, Charlie Robinson, who, as Jacob mentioned, 
probably achieved a, a little more notoriety in, in on based on his name, not the songwriting success that, that Bruce did. Although but, he did have some hits that were recovered by big artists mm-hmm. like El Cerrito Place, for instance. That's true. That's true. I think that was Tim McGraw as well. That's a, that's an important important song to mention. Charlie and Bruce, in many ways, could not be any different. That's so true. Bruce is so contemplative, and his his wit seems to be a little more on the wry side, whereas Charlie's is just out there. And Charlie is more of a party guy. And if you have opportunity, or if you had opportunity to see both of them, you got very different styled shows. Bruce's more song-oriented, talking about the music, playing the music, and Charlie's liable to rip off into an extended party guitar solo, you know, or something like that. Yes, and I, I definitely brings to mind the time that me and my wife went to see them when they were touring together. It was a couple of years ago in Lindale, and they came out and played while everybody was eating, and um, it, it was so true, that contrast. Uh, if you ask me... Uh, I think that probably Bruce is my is my favorite just because of his songwriting, his songs. If I had to pick, but I'd say the same Charlie thing. Charlie is definitely an entertainer. But no Charlie's question. so fun. and We saw him in, in Dallas, you and I, and uh, Kenny maybe, uh, your friend Kenny. Or was Joel with us? I don't know, but we, we saw him at, at a place called Whoever Granada. just got offended that can't remember, we can't Whoops. remember who was with us. It's been so long ago. <laughs> but... We, we did, and it, the sad thing, of course, is that, that uh, Charlie had some sort of surgical procedure. I don't know that anybody really knows what, but it left him with the inability to sing, and he can no longer uh, record or perform. Uh, just a real loss That is real sad. For, for Texas music moving forward. But when I think about sort of really representative records of the time frame, I have to mention Charlie's Life of the Party. Top to bottom, one of the great quality albums from the Texas music scene that that has the stories, it has the wit, it has the fun, it has the serious. The the two the two big songs off of that, and I say big because they got fairly significant airplay in in the Dallas area and and throughout uh, a lot of Texas were of course my hometown and barlight both yeah. both songs that charlie wrote that you would hear on you know we were living in Dallas at the time in the late 90s and that's we i heard those songs on the radio and they're great and i remember barlight on the radio too yeah uh, on friday nights it's clever it's great friday nights on 1057 around the radio station in our area they'd play texas music Always played bar line, bar bright. First bar that I've seen tonight. It, it's it's a, my my mama read me nursery rhymes beside my bed. Though they sounded mighty fine, they made no sense to me. <laughs> it's just great it, fun just writing. A great example of the of the wit, um, the the humor that you find that's so characteristic in country songs. Really pours out of these two guys. Really true. They it absolutely does. And the thing is, as great as Barlight and My Hometown are, they're not even, in my feeling, the strongest songs no, on the album. I don't album think so either. By any stretch of the imagination. I mean, you, you get started off 
on Life of the Party with Poor Man's Son, a good story song. Bruce that, wrote that. That has some, um, that Bruce wrote, yes, that that has some uh, some organ in it. You know, it's it, where is he going with, it's just really, it's a lot of fun, but, but then you really you really hit the, the ground running with Sunset Boulevard. And the, the two most important songs on the album as far as representative of the genre and, and, strength of, of his writing are Sunset Boulevard and Lovin County. Are those those two are just you know, Sunset Boulevard is is funny, it's witty, it sounds great. Lovin County is a an old school, traditional ballad in the sense of yes. not not quiet love song, but in the sense of here is this story to tell and it always ends up with a comparison to the lights of Lovin County. It it's wonderful. My other favorite song on the record, though, is another one that Bruce wrote called You're Not the Best, which has to be the funniest love song. But yeah, that's the hook. You're not the best, but you're the best that I can do. Typical of Charlie's recorded output. Well, you know, it's interesting because Bruce wrote the two sort of humorous type songs, but then I do know that, Mm -hmm. that Bruce recorded Poor Man's Son. But Charlie's version is so much more fitting for him to record it. Now, I mean, it's so much better. In, and I don't in know the stories style. behind it. I don't know if, if Bruce wrote them for him. That's or, true. I don't know either. I, I, yeah, I don't know. But but they are... Not that Bruce is, is above doing those kinds of songs. He'll do them again. What would Willie do? I mean, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't get any more of a party song than that, um, you know, as far as that goes. But anyway... I like Life of the Party, top to bottom, fantastic record. Uh, Jacob, talk about uh, your feelings on Charlie and, and a record from him. Well, the cho- the one that I chose was Step Right Up, which which came right after chronologically 2001. It for him, it was his major label debut on Columbia Records. You know, I don't know the story behind it, but they got a lot of songs out of him, um, even if he wasn't as big. Now, on this album, there's a song called I Want You Bad, which I also remember got some pretty good airplay uh, on the radio. But there's something interesting uh, I want to mention. There's lots of people playing on this album that are um, notable, like uh, his wife, Emily, of the Dixie Chicks, plays some banjo. Rich Brotherton, we talked about, Robert Rockeen's longtime guitar player, played on this album. And, of course, uh, his duet with Natalie Maines, another Dixie Chick, and, the, of course, the daughter of Lloyd Maines. You see how all these people are just interconnected. The wedding song, is that duet hilarious? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely hilarious song. But I was reading a, a lot more about this album, and I discovered two things I didn't know. And Josh knows these songs. Um, it Comes to Me Naturally, as well as what I mentioned, I Want You Bad. Now, those are... I, it Comes to Me Naturally is a hilarious song. It is? Um, about somebody who's... He's just a terrible person all around. And when this album was released, and I listened to it the first time, it comes to me naturally it was a song I already knew. Oh, you did? I did. Okay, well, I did not. I discovered that those two songs were actually covers from a band called NRBQ, which is apparently stands for the New Rhythm and Blues Quartet or Quintet, depending on what the lineup was. But I went to find them, and I was just taken aback by this band that's been around forever. 
Um, looking at their Wikipedia page, uh, it's written on here that the band's music is a blend of styles from rockabilly to Beatles-influenced pop to Thelonious Monk-inspired jazz. <laughs> they have attracted fans as diverse as Bob Dylan, Paul McCartney, Elvis Costello, uh, Keith, uh, Keith Richards, um, and on and on. And so that was a really strange, very strange uh, finding for me to, to discover that. I'm going to have to do a lot more looking into those guys. But all in all, uh, Charlie Robinson, very entertaining. And one, if you ask me, one of the giants of Texas country of that era, and even to today, is a guy that influenced a lot of other people as well. So... The version of It Comes to Me Naturally... Oh, it, you mean it's not the version I just mentioned? That I knew was not that version. Oh, whoops. <laughs> so, but so you're saying it, that's the original. It is. Okay, that is not the version that I so, uh, was familiar with. Have you not heard of this band? I have not. Okay, well... And I was obviously very intrigued by the description of yeah, <laughs> what it, the sort of things they did. But the It Comes to Me Naturally that I was familiar with was the one recorded by the Fabulous Thunderbirds on the Hot Number album. Oh, that's right. I read that they recorded it, too. That I knew that because right right through the, the late 80s, the, the Thunderbirds got, got popular with Tough Enough, you know, really got popular there. And they got Tough Enough and Hot Number and Powerful Stuff, those three records. Um, I don't know where they fit into all this story, but those are just some great records. But I, I was singing along with It Comes to Me Naturally because of the T-Birds. Okay. Um, not because of this NRBQ, band. is that what you said? Yeah, it's from this one album called NRBQ at Yankee Stadium. Both from one album, those two songs, and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to talk about them later because it was such a surprising find, and to mention that they've influenced all these musicians I just named, as well as they were apparently the de facto house band, quote unquote, for the Simpsons back when a big fan of that band ended up being a prominent writer on the show. So this opened up a whole new door for me, something I didn't know. Oh, wow. I discuss that, yeah. Yeah, it so, looks like at Yankee Stadium by NRBQ, um, a band and a location that I didn't think we'd be discussing on no. Texas Music <laughs> was released in 1978, so that original beats the one I knew by a full decade. So lots of covers. We're talking about a lot of covers, uh, you know, sort of an extension of our previous episode. So I just had to mention that because it's so interesting. The That's things, The things that you learn when you when you really dig into these these albums. And these albums are pretty obscure in the grand scheme, everything we're talking about. You can't always find a lot of information about them. Mm-hmm. You just kind of have to dig for it. That's true. If you... and, and I have to say, it is a crime that these artists and albums are as obscure as they are. Yeah, that, there, there's no doubt. And if if you are fortunate enough to own any of the physical media, that's where you're going to get the best information. Liner notes. Be it liner or notes from a CD, or if you're really lucky, uh, a, a vinyl uh, copy, which is becoming more prevalent, it especially is. as a lot of these are reaching sort of their, their 20 and 25 year being um, reissued. Yeah, they're being reissued, and so they've got a lot of stories included. But you know, just go out there digging through the internet. You don't always don't always find a lot uh, about you know, this. As, as much as I love and benefit from streaming, you know, like on Apple Music or whatever, you really miss a lot of extra details. And of course, a lot of people uh, may not be as interested in them, and that's okay. But 
you really you, for a lot of this stuff you have to you have to be prepared to go past page one on on Google searches, yeah. shall we say? So let's play a little bit uh, from Charlie, uh, a couple of selections from Life of the Party, and step right up. Well, I wish I had my picture on the Rolling Stone today. And I wish that the Inquirer would spread a rumor that I was gay. Well, I wish I had some buddies movie stars and such Cause I probably wouldn't worry about The two of us as much And I'd spend all my money On caviar and cocaine I would not remember how you broke my heart today. You know, I never understood how a big old gal could raise no kids in a shoe. And any old jack goes jumping a candle needs to find something better to do. And a rubber dub dub three minute a touch your sounds Goes bar light, bar bright. First bar that I see tonight. Wish I may, wish I might find someone to hold me tight. Hey diddle diddle, a man with the fiddle and the girl sing along with the tunes. Just one more dance till you turn out the lights and you can shut down this saloon. Driving me mad cause you're the best thing that I've ever had and I want you, I want you bad. So come on, let's give it a whirl and we can shake up the whole wide world and I want you, oh I want you girl. So the um, next person that we want to talk about is, of course, someone we've already mentioned. It's Pat Green, a big-time Texas musician. The particular album that I'd like to talk about is his Three Days album from 2001. Again, this is another major label debut. 
after doing things sort of on his own, being an independent artist, he comes to a major label. Um, I really think this album is sort of transitional between the music he'd released before, which Josh is, of course, and I am familiar with, but Josh living through that time listening to that music. It's transitional because his next album is Wave on Wave, which is, you know, it's still traditional sounding, but it's very much more Nashville-oriented, wave upon wave of production values and um, sort of a a straying away from Texas type of lyrics, Texas type of songs. So which one was the the album that he was wearing, the Puka Shell necklace? Because, see, that's when we all tapped out on Pat when he became Puka Pat. Well, I don't think that. (laughs) Y'all always say that. Always. You can't get over that puka shell thing. What if he what if he likes Galveston? Well, why can't he wear that because of Galveston? I had to throw that in. Just Come on. To... I knew you were going to. Oh Puka Pad. So But I... see those albums that you're talking about, the early one, things like Carry On and Um George's Bar, stuff like that's what I was listening to. And I believe that, that Three Days has a lot of some of those songs that he is then introducing to a wider audience. Yes. And who's going to begrudge the man the man that? I mean, I like to laugh about, about Puka Pat and going to Nashville and everything. But, you know, who could blame him? He well, had some pretty good success doing that. He did. Um, he records Carry On, uh, Take Me Out to a Dance Hall is a big song for him. Southbound 35. Texas on mm-hmm. My Mind, which is another cover that he did with Corey Morrow. These are songs that have been in, in the stable for a while, I would imagine. So, yeah. Um, interesting about this, though, that it was produced by Lloyd Maines the last time that Lloyd Maines produced a Pat Green album. But I was also interested to discover that it was co-produced also by a man named Greg Ladonyi. I don't know if I said his name right. This is a man who was producer or co-producer for a bunch of albums in the 70s and 80s. For instance, Don Henley's um, solo album, I Can't Stand Still, and Age of Innocence. He produced two Jackson Brown... Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Jackson Brown's um, Hold Out and Lawyers in Love. He also produced three Warren Zevon albums. (laughs) I don't want to talk about it. Well, we're not going to. Um, And he produced... (laughs) He produced a, a Fleetwood Mac album as well, so I don't know how this guy ended up with Lloyd Maines producing a Pat Green album. But, um, of course, Lloyd Maines plays all over this album. And, interestingly, also David Grissom plays on this album, which is someone who plays a lot with Bob Schneider, another, of our, another one of our favorites. So, I really think it's a good album, and I'm certain he played a lot of these songs when he was at the Old Palace where I saw him. And, of course, Wave on Wave, which I just want to add real quick. I think Wave on Wave is an okay album. I got reacquainted with it last year when my truck had to be in the shop for several days. My uh, Nana said that I could borrow her car, which doesn't have any sort of Bluetooth or aux connection. Of course, I was upset because I don't listen to radio. I want to listen to my own music. But it did have a CD player. Inside um, of her console was Wave on Wave. In Three Days by Pat Green. So, you know, it's not so bad, uh, Wave on Wave. But I really like Three Days. So, again, Three, day, three Days has a, a lot of the same stuff that were on the other albums. So when I was thinking about Pat Green, I probably would have picked George's Bar or Carry On, the 
the more regional releases that, that I was listening to at the time, or in all likelihood would have landed on songs we wish we'd written with him and Corey Morrow together. It's something that we had a lot of fun with, and they did some really nice versions of a lot of different songs, but the key song on there is Texas On My Mind, the Django um, Walker uh, written song, a son of Jerry Jeff Walker. It, they do a really nice job with that. So um, we'll play that and some other selections then from Pat Green's Three Days. on my mind Thinking about my friends there And a girl that left behind The way she held me when we kissed The loving that we've done And how I left her waving goodbye Standing in a Texas sun I got a half a mind to call her so far are sort of among the biggest names from the Texas country music movement. Robert Earl, Bruce, Charlie, Pat Green. This is the least well-known, probably, in the general public guy that we're going to talk about. I would say. But definitely someone who's had a great career, a fascinating career, and might just be the most fun of all of these to see live. Apologies to Robert Earl, who's obviously such a <laughs> professional. But the guy I'm talking about is a fellow from Beaumont uh, who has made his name in the Austin area, a guitar slinger and singer or crooner named Jesse Dayton. And there's a lot of good Jesse Dayton to explore. We're concerned here with the Texas country portion of Jesse Dayton, but he was in a three-piece band that did surf rockabilly country stuff called the Road Kings, which is just really, really great. But where I became 
familiar with Jesse originally was a buddy I was working with gave me a copy of the 2000 album Tall Texas Tales and said, hey, just take this and listen to song number seven. So I did, and I heard a song about duct tape. And I the noticed song, you had to overpronounce that duct tape. duct tape <laughs> duct tape. All right, fine. Let Come me just now. go ahead. That's how we say it around with here. This Texas view, it's duct tape. All right. So the 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 song is called Arkansas Chrome, and he's got a story that he tells about about where that title came from. It was a, it stopped at a convenience store, and oh yeah, the Arkansas Chrome is back there for for the duct tape. But this <laughs> kind record, of a dig at Arkansas, uh, really. Well. They're used to it. So, <laughs> I don't know if there's, Sorry, any, if there's Arkansas any Arkansas music. I don't know. <laughs> Tall Texas Tales is a great record, but we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it because I would say go listen to it, but you can't. You can't really find it in its original form. That's very upsetting. Now, we are going to play Arkansas Chrome for you, in its original form. But you happen to have the original, which we'll be playing for you, I do. I should say. But 15 years later, Jesse re-released it in a 15-year anniversary edition and added several tracks, which normally I would... I like these sort of legacy releases that people do where they add more and give you extra. The problem with it, for me, is a lot of it was re-recorded, particularly the vocals, but... I don't get it. Other parts of it... And I don't really understand why either. And really, I don't know if too many people would notice. You, you would have to have listened to the album a lot, which I know you did, mm-hmm. and I know I did, to where the first time I listened to it, it was immediately clear that mm-hmm. something is different. We're talking about re-recorded vocals on a, almost all of them. Yeah. And we're even talking about redone guitar solos yes, in a lot I, of ways. I, and it's I don't like it, especially because the fifteenth anniversary edition has superseded the original cut of the album. Yeah, that's the real problem. A for lot, me. a lot of times, you know, for instance, the Beatles release a lot of new things. They remaster, they add extras, but you can always go back to the original for the most part, yeah. or original enough. Yeah. But it totally changes the album for me. Uh-huh. I don't. It the the thrill is gone. Why would I don't. You do I that? don't get it. I, I really don't. And. And I, I don't want to be hypercritical. Um, I love I love Jesse. I've gotten to know him uh, a little bit over the years. I've been to see him, no telling, 10 or 12 times in, in little bitty tiny places uh, all across Texas uh, and even Oklahoma. But I just give me, let me have the original too. It's fine if you want to do this, but the, the original was one of my favorite records ever and it, it's just kind of been lost to history and, and I think that's a shame but that's that's what we have here and I could tell stories about about Jesse and some of the strange places I've I've seen him a coffee shop in Marshall wasn't that the first time you saw him um no the first time I saw him was at Love and War in Plano okay um which would have been in about 2000 2001 great Wonderful. First time I ever heard his um, take on the cars, Just What I Needed, turned into a country song, which is just genius. Uh, that's the first time I heard that. But then we, we, like I said, we saw him in Marshall. 
Um, my wife and I went over several years ago. He was supposed to be playing in Shreveport, and him and the drummer Brady Blade had just said, let's just play this place and posted it on Facebook. It was really just a, hey, what do y'all want to play next? Just It was you know, Jesse and his bassist Chris and, and Brady Blade, and they're just playing. Um, I could go on about all of that stuff, but the bottom line is we like Tall Texas Tales, but you can't find it. So we're going to push your attention to the follow-up, which I, has I, a little bit of controversy. I do want to say one thing mm-hmm. uh, that we forgot to mention, that Jesse Dayton got started as a session musician, and um, he played on one of Waylon Jennings' final albums, um, contributed guitar work to that, so um, that's uh, that's his, you know, that was probably his biggest claim to fame, really, to begin with, was as a session musician before he struck out on his own. Yes. So that's and, interesting. And as I say, he's just a great guitar he's player. He's a very good guitarist. Um, can really hold it down with his band. They're a three-piece, so we talked about, you know, trios a little bit yes. in the previous episode. But as far as as far as far things that have paid the bills, um, he has done the music <laughs> and been involved with Rob Zombie in yes. several movies. So um, he's, he's a very colorful and interesting character. Worth checking out up and down the board, but we'll we'll recommend for you as part of this his album um, from 2001 called Hey Nash Vegas. Now there's a little controversy with this selection. Well, I don't know controversy. I don't I don't know if you want to call it that. It's just just that, for our topic. It's just that when we were coming to select albums, we decided to select albums separately from each other and then sort of collaborate on what we want to talk about. I did not choose this album because it's not really very Texas-y to me. It's very, of course, it's kind of in the name, Hey Nash, Vegas. It's very much a traditional Nashville sound. Of course, it's not the contemporary Nashville sort of thing yeah. that was going on at the time, but it's a very traditional country record. It's going to be in the neo-traditional wing of Texas music, I, I for like sure. it a lot, but I wasn't going to talk about it because it just didn't fit the brief, in my opinion. Look, if you like traditional country music, this is as country as he ever got. That's he true. tends to really to really branch out into a lot of different styles. Rockabilly. Big on rockabilly. These days especially. Um, he and it's all it's all enjoyable. But this is his really country album with songs like Never Started Living Till I Started Loving That's a You. Great song. Wonderfully written song. The the wonderful, also, Don't Take Yesterday Like You Took Tomorrow. Uh, it's just it's just song after song after song of various work in a neo-traditional country idiom, even including some really great swing with... Um, Panhandle Jane. Panhandle Jane and the Dixie Chicks. So you get a little bit of that. Mixed in there. And you even get a Bruce Robinson song you that did. he recorded. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. I Dream too. Yeah. So. It, it's very heavy on steel guitar, I would say. Probably mm-hmm. his heaviest, which I yeah. really like. Yeah. I'm really a big fan of steel guitar. This this is an old school country album. It really is. And so the controversy would be we've got some Nashville when we said in our introduction that there's no Nashville in Texas country. But it is that old school Nashville. And if you if you like crooning tear-jerking country music with a steel guitar. It's real hard to beat this album. I have to agree with that one. I do. I have so to say. So we'll start off with 
Arkansas Chrome and then give you a couple of those crooning selections let's, from Hey Nash Vegas. Let's do it. Well, a hundred miles an hour in the ghost lane, 500 horsepower won't take away my pain. So I've been driving it home. I took a shotgun blast with the back windshield. It's all taped up with my last roll of Arkansas Chrome. What a poor lost honky on a two-way. Met a lot lizard at the last chance drug shop. my head up There's been days when I thought I'd go insane And as the clock ticks on the wall And each second reminds me of it all All those yesterdays Rolling through my mind So don't take yesterday Like you took tomorrow I know what we had Yes and girl, we had a lot Don't take yesterday Like you took tomorrow I know that yesterday is not much But it's all I've got So we've discussed several of these artists and before we leave you we we each want to throw one more record out there your way to take a listen to jacobs is going to come from sort of the the latter portion of the movement it's an artist he's mentioned and i'm going to choose one from the early portion of the movement that we think you need to listen to uh, jacob tell us about uh, your last selection here well i'm going to choose an album from an artist that I discovered somewhere around 10 years ago on one of those CMT music video 24-hour, you know, where they would do nothing but play music videos. And I heard a song by this guy, had to know more. And he is from an area where there's lots of cows and rolling hills, green gra- green uh, grasses, lots of farmland. Um, 
very uh, similar to Texas, but actually I'm talking about the province of Alberta, Canada. This is Corb Lund, the Corb Lund Band, recorded an album in 2002 called Five Dollar Bill, and I think this is such a cool album. Um, he made, this was actually a number one album in Canada, I should mention. This guy grew up on a farm, um, so he's it's, he's very steeped in the in the you know same sort of traditions that a lot of the Texas country guys grew up around. Um, he recorded this album in Canada and also in Nashville. It's it's so different from anything else we've talked about in that it's really just very pared down. You have acoustic guitar, um, bass, drums, some other guitars mixed in, but. Um, it's very, very fine, and he's the type of guy that records, uh, I should say, writes all, almost all of his own stuff, and we get a lot of different kinds of songwriting from very serious, introspective, to also the humor. So I encourage everyone to uh, listen to this, go and find it uh, anywhere you find music. I'm going to play um, for y'all a couple of songs. Uh, one of them is called Short Native Grasses. And the other one is called Gonna Shine Up My Boots. You can fail to achieve what you'd always believed you were capable of from the start. And you can lose all you have on the gambling avenue you'll know nothing true of your heart you can see and be seen with those holes in your jeans the prairies won't know what it means the prairies of alberta they ain't never heard of Keeping you down and the short native grasses Don't care that the ashes Of your dreams match their dry shade of brown I'm gonna shine up my boots I'm gonna go into town I'm gonna scrape up twenty dollars I'm gonna throw it around gonna buy me a dance first lovely lady that I see when our dance is through I'll say will you marry me I'm gonna shine up my boots I'm gonna go into town I'm gonna scrape up twenty dollars I'm gonna throw it around I'm gonna find me a game but hoping if I can I fold them all night long Got me a hand. I'm gonna buy us a ranch with a Palomino herd, and I won't mean no harm, and I won't say a word when misery comes. So, Josh, that was kind of my, as I would call, reaching selection. We're a few thousand miles away from the target, but I had to mention this guy, he's so good. Everybody should go listen to the Corblund Band, Corblund and the Hurt and Albertans. Anything he records, go check it out. So that's mine. And Josh, what is your 
sort of extra honorable mention type of album or artist? Well, I'll call it a wild card because actually, even though we haven't, we've mentioned this guy, this is actually the first thing I thought of with this topic because it's perhaps my favorite of all of these albums. It was my, my sort of first thought as well. And this is the 1997 release by James McMurtry called It Had to Happen. No, but it did have to happen. <laughs> you, you get some <laughs> great, great writing from one of the most interesting characters in, in, this, in this genre. Uh, James McMurtry is the son of Western writer Larry McMurtry, who, of course, wrote Lonesome Dove. And he has recorded a lot of great music that he writes. He's from Austin. Still, once we get out of the pandy anyway, we'll be performing in Austin. You can catch him on Facebook every Sunday and every Wednesday doing his one man with the guitar thing and singing all of his classic songs. But this album, if there is a song that showcases a fine songwriter in in this idiom, it's it's it had to happen by by James McMurtry. The I just can't describe the way he uses words to tell these stories, and Paris, Peter Pan, mm. No More Buffalo, an all time classic, uh, Sixty Acres, a song about um, the, the old grandma dying and leaving them sixty acres and not knowing what to do with it. Uh, don't look at me like there's something growing out of my head just because that old bird's dead. I mean, he just he writes just great songs. I mean, he's even got a cover of Kinky Friedman on here. He does with uh, the Wild Man from Borneo. This is a an album of of ten songs. Every one of them is good. Every one of them is entertaining. And I'd really just like to say, go listen to it. But for, for the purpose of, of playing, uh, I'd like to play For All I Know, which when he's got a live version of it and on the jacket, it's not listed as For All I Know. It's listed as Fraulein O. <laughs> I have to say, that confused me when I first came upon it. <laughs> Fraulein O. He had that Live in Europe album. Yep. For all I know. And then when I heard it, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Typical of his, his sense of humor. But in that particular song that I'd like to play, it has... Really great line. It has a really great line. So I, I like to throw out hyperbole. Maybe you've noticed that. <laughs> but whenever I cite the greatest song lyric ever written, I always oh, cite these two. One is Jerry Jeff Walker's um, Your Loving Makes a Living Worthwhile. When he says, I've been screwed and sued and tattooed, and I'm standing right here in front of you, <laughs> telling you even the president makes a mistake. That's we great that. songwriting. In For All I Know, James McMurtry writes, Of course, you had that boyfriend with the Chevrolet. He never met Will Rogers, I'd be willing to say. <laughs> yeah, it's safe to say he never met Will Rogers. Of course, oh. Will Rogers, famously known for, say, for saying, I never met a man I didn't like. James McMurtry can't put it that way. He's got to say, this guy, he's pretty sure he never met Will Rogers. Just a great line and one of my favorites. It is so clever. 
And he has such an interesting style of guitar playing as well. His music is very guitar driven, but not in the same way as you might have heard with Jesse Dayton's song as we played. Uh, it's understated, but um, yeah, it's interesting. And he plays in a lot of um, alternate tunings. and He does. I've seen him only once, and it was not with his band. That's on my to-do list once the pandy ends, is to get is to get some time with James McMurtry and his band. I just saw him by himself, and exactly what Jacob is um, talking about, he had several different 12 and 6 strings, all in different tunings, and he would switch them after after every song, basically. And it, it was just really great. But he's really, really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> he he gets, he gets He's very serious looking and got kind of a wild look at his eyes and, you know, never has his shirt buttoned up all the way and that hair's going everywhere. In get fact, that hat on, probably. Yeah, often wearing a little flat driver cap or something like that. Perhaps uh, perhaps he never met Will Wilder. <laughs> Perhaps he never met Will Rogers. Well, Say that I know 40 times fast. Is when we were sitting and watching him, and we were sitting right by the stage, one of the people I was with turned around and said, if he comes down off that stage, have you got my back? <laughs> <laughs> but as they're sitting there playing, or as he's sitting there playing, there's these two women over on, uh, on stage left, and he's kind of and they're talking very loud. I mean, it's one guy playing a guitar and singing, and... He's played his singing, and he looks over during the musical, musical interlude and looks over at him and says, I hope I'm not interrupting you. <laughs> well. So, interesting guy, but uh, great, great musician and writer. Here's For All I Know from James McMurtry. For All I Know. For All I Know. We can be reached on Facebook on our Somebody Else's Favorite Song page. 
you can type that right into the search and find us there. And of course, I'm on Facebook as well. Jacob King is my name. You can also find me on Twitter at 5thJMK. That is F-I-F-T-H-J-M-K. And that's where I can be reached. Uh, Josh, what about you? On Twitter at Squonk15, S-Q-U-O-N-K-1-5. Joshua at JoshuaVBest.com. Or via my website, JoshuaVBest.com. Or our podcast website, which is still in its early stages, but a point of contact, SEFS.show. I'm sorry. I just want to mention one more thing, that uh, we are available now everywhere that you can listen to podcasts. Uh, Spotify, Apple, and Google, Stitcher, Overcast, really everywhere now. That wasn't the case a couple of weeks ago, but there we are. I'm going to say thanks to y'all for listening today. Uh, We've kind of had a bit of a survey of Texas country around the century's end. We hope you'll join us next time. Until then, I'm Jacob. And I'm Josh. And this has been Somebody Somebody Else's Else's Favorite Favorite Songs. Songs.